TGIM Team RE. This is episode 297. You're going to flourish. Like you're going to get in your lane and you're going to flourish and you're going to feel fabulous. You're going to wake up every morning clear headed and just feel like you have a new body and a new mind. And it's going to be a beautiful, beautiful path. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Odette Kressler. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Megan. Megan is from Vancouver Island and she is 33 years old. Megan is someone that I know through a Recovery Elevator community. And since we've recorded this a few weeks ago, things have changed a bit for her. She reached out to me and told me it was okay to pull this interview and not air it since she had gone out and had a drink again. However, I told her I was definitely going to air it. Megan and I share a chapter in our journeys, the field research chapter. (laughs) It happened to me a few times before my current sobriety streak, and I do think it's part of many people's journeys. So with her permission, I am airing her interview. And Megan, if you're listening, I hope you know how proud we all are of you. More importantly, I hope you know how supported you are. We love you. And quick update before I get started. Our next Ditch the Booze course is kicking off on Tuesday, November 10th, and there is still room to sign up. This is a six-week online course where you will learn how to build a foundation for a life where alcohol is no longer needed. You will get paired with other Cafe RE members, benefit from daily check-ins, learn about managing cravings, practice mindfulness, and more. This course is available for Cafe RE members only, and it's pretty neat because we ran some polls and 78% of the previous course attendees reported that they remained alcohol-free for six weeks. We think that's pretty darn cool. If you'd like to try out Cafe RE and check out this course, register on our website at recoveryelevator.com. And if you're already a member of Cafe RE, find the link to register in your group. Alrighty, let's work on finding your better you. Today, one of my sober idols aired a podcast episode where he shared about a difficult chapter on his journey. I've listened to Armchair Expert podcast with Dak Shepard since episode number one, which aired a couple of years ago. And although this isn't a podcast about recovery, so much of what we learn on this alcohol-free journey is just woven into our lives now. And with Dak Shepard, you can really see that and hear that in his message and in his interviews. And they just end up talking about recovery a lot, even though, like I said, it's not a recovery podcast. His authenticity comes through every single interview. It's a really funny podcast, and I love his co-host, Monica Padman. I'm a fan. Before COVID, Monica and Dax were having some live interviews in different cities. They were like on this podcast tour. How cool is that? Maybe after COVID, whenever that is, we can have an RE podcast tour. What do you think, Pablo? Maybe we can get a good sponsor. That'd be fun. Anyway, when they announced that they were coming to California, they said that they were going to have a show in Los Angeles. And it was a weeknight for me, but I really wanted to go. So my friend Christina and I bought a couple tickets. She picked me up after work. 
we drove to LA, saw the show, and then drove back to San Diego that same night. So I think that proves that I'm a fan. I mean, I'm someone who prioritizes getting to bed super early. I am not called grandma for nothing. So it was great being able to attend a show and see them in real life. Anyway, Armchair Expert released a bonus episode today. And Dax shared how over the course of the last few months, he developed an addiction to opioids. And he shared how this had progressed pretty rapidly. I'm going to have Kate drop the episode that I'm talking about in the show notes in case anybody wants to listen. But basically, he walks listeners through what happened and he publicly apologizes to his listeners and to his co-host. After recently celebrating 16 years of sobriety, Dax also committed to resetting his sobriety tracker and he's starting over because he mentions how for him being sober is not just about being sober, but it's about living in honesty. I was listening in the car this morning and I was crying. I was crying a lot and I've been really feeling raw the whole day after listening to this interview. I, I was feeling a lot of feelings. I was feeling empathy, compassion, gratitude, just a lot. And I was getting triggered in terms of my own personal journey as well. So I was just <laughs> a little bit of a mess. But more than anything, I was just grateful and hoping that he wasn't hurting as much because as someone who struggles with addiction and also has a family member who has struggled with addiction, it's hard. It's hard for the whole family. It's hard for the people we care for. It's hard. So I was, I was hurting with him and for him. And even though his life looks extremely different than mine, what connects us is a feeling. What connects all of us is a feeling, not so much the context of our lives. I could feel the pain in his voice and in certain points of the interview, I could, I could hear the fear, but also the willingness to open up and walk this walk of honesty. I could just, I could hear a human just coming through and gosh, I love him even more now. I've always been a fan and I just love how he, just like I mentioned, I love that he just walks the walk. So I respect and appreciate him so much more. I think it's really powerful for someone with such a great platform to share such a vulnerable and difficult chapter of his journey, right? And I kept thinking, if this happened to him, if this happened to Dax Shepard, that means that this has happened to so many other people. This has to be a shared experience. And it's only by talking about it that we're able to heal it, to move past it, and to continue to do the to do the work of this mission of shredding the shame and just accepting and understanding how complex this topic is, how multifaceted it is, how it's not black or white, how there are different chapters, different challenges, how there's a big gray area. You know, there are many layers to the onion, and this was a perfect example of that. We're not alone. You're not alone. And you're loved entirely. You aren't loved just because you are sober. And if you feel like you aren't loved because you are not sober yet, then you're wrong. That's bullshit. You're loved, period. You are whole and worthy. And there is no playbook for our messy journeys. 
earlier this week, I heard Brene Brown say something along the lines of how we're all still really struggling through this pandemic and all of the events that are happening in our country and in the world. She said it's like this storm hit us and all of the windows in our house broke and there's all of these pieces of glass on the floor. And we're picking up all of these pieces and we're trying to clean up the mess, but it's still raining and it's still windy and we're still in the storm. 2020 has been a difficult chapter. So keep your head up, team. Protect your energy. Take naps if you need them. Take, br- take breaks in the day. Find moments of stillness. Pause. Because if you're a little bit like me, it feels like there isn't enough time in the day to do all of the things that we want to do and accomplish all of the change that we want to accomplish. But in order to fight for what you believe in, you need energy. So protect your energy. Fill your tank. All right. Eso es todo. That's my weekly dose of rambles on RE for this episode. And before we hear from Megan... Let's hear from my favorite resource on this journey, Cafe RE. When departing from alcohol, here are the two main keys to success. You need a supportive, loving community, and you have to create accountability with others who have the same goal in mind. Whether you want to ditch the booze for a month, a year, or are simply sober curious, you'll get both of these in Cafe RE. These groups are unsearchable on Facebook. Who is in the group and what is said can only be seen by members. You get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to live an alcohol-free life. These groups are capped at under 400 members to ensure quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking can be fun. For $19 a month, you get access to the community, get paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, online discussions, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and more. You'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. 15% of monthly fees goes towards our service project where we work with a nonprofit helping those who have been affected by addiction. And another portion goes to the in-person meetups. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code opportunity to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code opportunity to waive the setup fee. I hope to see you there. Megan, how are you? I'm good. I'm definitely good. Well, that's great. I'm really happy you're here. And let's just get right into it. When was the last time you had a drink, Megan? So my sobriety date is April 20th, 2020. How are you feeling? Yeah, I'm feeling good. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, It's been really, really important for me. Um, I think especially because I think a lot of people can relate who have gotten sober during COVID. I think it helped me stay sane being sober for the the predominant part of it. Yeah, if if this didn't give you some confidence and some strength and some belief in yourself, I don't know what else can because you decided to go for it and now you're on this podcast during the pandemic, the craziest time we've experienced collectively in a long time. So I'm so proud of you and you should feel so proud of yourself and I'm just happy you're here. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, I'm 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 proud and I'm I'm still shocked sometimes <laughs> like that I've gone as far as I've gone. And yeah, it's 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 been really awesome. So I can no complaints, you know, can small you... complaints, but <laughs> small complaints, but they're just like average human complaints. But you know what I mean? Yes. And everything is so much more manageable now, I assume. And can you give listeners a little background, Megan? Can you let us know where you're from 
do you have a family? What are your hobbies? What do you do for a living? And what do you like to do for fun? Yeah, so I'm Megan. I'm from Vancouver Island, born and raised there. And then I moved to Montreal when I was 18, kind of on a whim. I was like dating someone and then that quickly ended and I just kept living here because it's pretty rad. And yeah, I have a partner named Tim and he's him and I are going to get married. We were actually supposed to be married um, in May, but then of course, no travel and there was a whole pandemic happening. So that's postponed until next year. And I am a cook at a vegan restaurant. I'm pretty lucky. I found a job during just about a month ago. I decided to like jump on it and get back into work um, while I could because yeah, I just, I, you know, I wanted something that really suited me and I cook vegan at home. I'm predominantly plant-based. So it was a cool decision to make. And I really like my team I'm working with right now. And for fun, I do painting and drawing, pen and ink. I've done actually a couple of paintings for Recovery Elevator Friends. And I do animal portraits. So that's kind of my big thing. If anyone was interested uh, (laughs) in that, I do animal portraits for friends, you know? Yeah, listeners, if you follow us on Instagram at Recovery Elevator, we have shared all of Megan's work on there. Beautiful artwork. And obviously, my favorite one is a portrait of Ben that she made for Paul. (laughs) And she's super talented. So now all I have oh, to do is at some point get together with you so you can cook me a vegan meal whenever this pandemic is over. But I am witness and can say that what you do is amazing. So that's oh, so thanks. cool. Like I feel like a lot of from what you shared, a lot of pieces of your life are coming together during these crazy times. So that has to give yeah. you so much strength. And I mean, do you feel super grateful? I I feel like... I'm coming into myself like I feel like whatever you want to call it second puberty coming out of my shell blossoming flourishing I just feel like I can finally be myself and I like it it's been really cool to get to know myself in this way because like what was holding me back was just so much pain (laughs) I think like it's just painful being drunk all the time like my body hurt I just felt sick. I just couldn't concentrate. I didn't have enough stamina or energy to do anything. So it's like finding out that I have all this extra energy and I just feel kind of like on fire with so many things. Like I'm kind of like a bit like manic energy in general. So being able to put it into like constructive purpose (laughs) these days where I'm like, oh, I'm actually finishing projects and you know, starting new things and finishing those and starting new things and finishing those. Like I feel really effective which is a new thing for me because I have a lot of ideas. But when I was drinking, it was just like painfully hard to get myself off my ass to do them, you know? I love that you as an artist are debunking this myth of like, you have to be under the influence to create. I feel like that that myth or that narrative has been played out in like media culture and uh, famous people who have shared and I I'm just so happy that you're sharing how like maybe the idea was there, but it was really hard to pick up and get some momentum going. For sure. Like I used to think that, you know, I'd sit with my wine and I could sit and draw and like I'd feel like all romantic and blah, blah, blah. But the 
truth of the matter is, is I would sit down to draw and I'd end up kind of drawing shit or I'd look through my drawings the next day and be like, wow, a drunk person drew that, you know, like trying to draw my friend's baby and the head is all like fucked up and like, you know, like, <laughs> uh, I'm not going to give this to them. Like, and now I'm like, I, I sit down and I'm, and I know my limits. I know how to use my body properly. I know what, what feels good. And it's like usually music and having, you know, good lighting, good surroundings. It's kind of a joyful moment. And I just get a lot of like exuberant love and joy from creating. And instead of just feeling like I need more, I need more, I need more alcohol, you know, because like it didn't, it wasn't ever really about creating at some point. It was about getting loaded, you know, and that's inspiring. like, (laughs) Like for real, it's been, it's been really nice to know that I'm more creative, I'm a better artist, and I have more stamina and clarity than I ever had. And I can I can say that I don't have to have alcohol as my muse, you know? Like, it comes from within, it doesn't come from a substance. So that's really been kind of magical, you know? Yeah, that's empowering. That's very empowering that you... Like you said, you're just finding your way back to yourself. And let's rewind a little bit. I got carried sure. carried away and excited with <laughs> just knowing you a little bit more personally from the groups. But can you give listeners a little background, Megan? When did you start realizing that maybe alcohol was becoming a prog- a problem? When did you start drinking? Did you did you try any rules? Just tell me a little bit about your story. Walk us through that. Yeah. When I was younger, I I tried drinking a couple times in BC. And my parents, you know, I grew up with my parents drinking and stuff, but like not to a level of, I think, abusive drinking. They just like, you know, had to have their six pack each a night. And it was like, get off the long work day and sit down, have your drinks before supper, you know, but they'd polish off like a 12 pack together. And it was just normal around my house. My brothers and sisters drank when they're all older than I am. And so I had it around me a lot when I was a kid. And in fact, like the first time I ever drank, I had like secretly snuck one beer over a series of weeks to hide them under my bed. (laughs) And like me and this girl, Sarah, cracked them open once to try to get drunk. But we tasted like one warm, disgusting beer called Lucky. And we're like this is super gross. <laughs> so I had to like, <laughs> I had to like slowly sneak them back into my parents' stash like over time. Cause I was like, this is nasty, you know? And so I was like, kind of like, yuck, I don't really like this stuff when I was like a kid. And then I kind of got into like the art world a little bit with some f- older friends when I was like 17 or 18 and I got drunk for the first time and was kind of like, Ooh, this makes me like, like sexually adventurous and like open and like I can talk to older people and I can break out of my shell. I'm kind of one of those extroverts that's actually an introvert. Like I feel really kind of like I like I'm low key, you know, in certain ways, but alcohol really got me broken out of my shell. And then when I moved to Montreal, it was just like no holds bar. It's the culture here. And especially being in like the punk scene and everything, I found like a group of friends who it's just it's so normal to drink almost at every occasion when you're in a park or you're biking or you're at a show or you're just chilling on the lawn or you're at someone's house like having dinner no matter where you are it's like drinks are in hand you know and so like 
it just amped up from there. I remember like playing piano with friends and like having two forties and thinking like, they're so gross. Like I have to put them in a little shot glass to like shoot them back, you know? And like, or mixing a big 40 of like black label with orange juice because it was so nasty. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, I don't find this gross anymore. And I just felt like it was almost like a badge of honor to be like, oh, I don't think it's gross anymore. I can drink this shit straight, you know? And from there, it turned into like wine. And then it turned from being being friends with people and having drinks and everything to me drinking alone in my room whenever I was just listening to music. And then it turned into me being in my 30s, like watching TV and polishing off two bottles of wine, like, you know, and sometimes that not being even enough. So it was just never enough. Nothing was ever enough, you know, whether it was like wine or morning cigarettes or anything to kind of mess me up more, you know, and then it kind of turned into like getting a prescription for my anxiety and starting to combine like anxiety medication with my drinking and getting getting really messed up and also not remembering pretty much anything from the night before, you know, so it it amplified. (laughs) At any point during this progression, were you starting to have conversations with yourself wondering like, all right, I know it's everywhere, but this probably isn't normal. Or were you starting to question what appeared to be a habit then? I started questioning myself in my mid 20s. Like I remember one time going like with a band, my friend's band to Toronto. And on the way there, I had to ask this guy who was actually like sober and he he like he's never drank or anything and he was just like I have to ask him to pull over the van a couple times for me to throw up and it was just like this is really embarrassing and then it just became like a trend where I would make myself sick all the time and I just was like really concerned about how often I had to throw up you know and it was like I drink to excess all the time that I almost was throwing up like like three or four times a week you know Mm -hmm. Going into work, throwing up, coming back, going back in to to work a bit more, feeling like nauseous again, going back to throw up. And like, it was like, I was like, not willing to let it go, but knew that I was doing things too, too hard. And like, I started to feel like just the shame, I guess, that was associated because my friends would be like, yeah, like, you know, like they would be normal and I would be messed like they'd be helping me with their hands under my armpits to walk you know I'd forget my my wallet or something and they'd be like buying me like some food at the end of the night just to try to sober me up you Mm -hmm. know and I'd wake up with like bruises under my arms or my knees were all bloody or like um making mistakes with like strangers you know just stuff that I'm like how the hell did I survive that (laughs) like how how could I have gotten away with being so stupid you know hitchhiking in Ottawa on the highway or like biking drunk like I don't drive but I certainly got on a bike way too many times and you know getting into these long-winded arguments with people or trying to explain something and them being like you're not listening you're you're you keep repeating yourself and me feeling like so much shame the next day one of my rock bottoms doesn't sound big but like I barged into my friend's bedroom after he told me to stop bugging him to be like I'm sorry you know I'm sorry and he's like he's like get out of here get out like you are not listening and to me like one of my 
biggest things I try to pride myself on is being like someone who who respects consent. And like, I felt like, wow, I'm really not respecting this person's boundaries. And I'm not listening. And I'm so ashamed of myself, you know, like, I feel like boundaries are so important. And when I'm drinking, I just feel like they they go out the window for me and for someone else. You know, I feel like I lose respect in so many ways for myself and others, you know, yeah, they get blurred. Yeah. And then, I mean, we can get into it, but I'll take tell you right before um, COVID, I had all my wedding alcohol that like I was supposed to have for my big party in Montreal. And because it was just in my house and I had a month off, I drank it all in like one month. I drank enough alcohol for 80 guests, you know, and my partner, he was just like, he was scared, you know, like he'd look at me like, like you're gonna poison yourself you know and I was like it's fine it's my body it's my choice you know like but meanwhile no there was no limit to how much I could intake like it seemed like I was just like this endless like I could drink endlessly but I felt so gross (laughs) you know and so much pain yes and it's insane how much our bodies can endure because of course people don't even put alcohol under the same category or bucket as a drug but it is a poisonous drug that like can kill you but it's one of those slower progressions where you can build up how much you can take and pregnancy and how much you can drink and there are like multiple things where I'm like wow our bodies are magnificent and how much someone is able to drink is one of the times where I'm like holy shit like and a doctor once told me when I had to go to treatment like your body will get used to whatever normal you make it be like whatever baseline (laughs) if you if you're used to for me it was like it was when I was really deep in my eating disorder and and the doctor said like if you've been throwing up most of your meals for five six seven years eventually it's going to kill you but it you'll be surprised at how long you can survive just sustaining that new normal that your body adjusts to and I was like holy shit like yeah that's crazy I would look at it and I'd be like, how did I drink? How did I drink like almost a bottle of vodka? How am I not dead? And it's just to sit and watch The Office for the fifth time, you know, yeah. like it, it it was for no reason other than to black out kind of. And it's weird. It's like I actually really now that I'm sober, I'm like, why was I what was I escaping? I have a beautiful life, you know, like I have a wonderful partner. I have like this crazy cute house that I like apartment that I've decorated. You know, I've got like these multiple hobbies that I like to do. Like, I think it's just like it got to the point where it was all I knew, you know, like it's what how I knew how to to cope, you know, and that and I was taking antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications because I think I just never addressed a lot of things that I've gone through being like the person I am, I never addressed a lot of like trauma that I've gone through. And so I just would numb it out, numb it out, numb it out, you know. And now that I have the chance to like look at myself and say like, wow, you're having anxiety, you're having anxiety. Like my my go-to thought right away is like, what can I do to get rid of this immediately? You know, which mm-hmm. was my past, the way I coped in the past, you know, take an anxiety pill, drink a cup, like six glasses of wine, you know. But now I have to say, you're going through anxiety. This exists for this moment. And I have to kind of just be like, I can't 
completely fix the fact that I have anxiety, but I can recognize it for what it is. And I can also recognize that I've gone through anxiety in the past and I've gotten through it. It's like, it's not going to take me down. It's not going to ruin my life. It's not going to be the shit show I've made it in the past. I I have certain things that I do now to try to be like, that's the future. You don't need to worry about that so much. Like right now, try to think about what you're doing presently, you know? And so there's like a lot of things I'm trying to do to get rid of my anxiety instead of like turning to a substance to help me, you know? Yeah, um, it sounds like you're really working towards just like grounding techniques and bringing yourself back to this moment because anxiety a lot of the times is rooted in like us future tripping or thinking of different scenarios and just basically not being here now. So it's really neat to hear you kind of give yourself that pep talk and walk through bringing yourself back. And what happened? uh, Was it after that conversation you had with your partner that you decided to quit? Or what happened in April of this year that has gotten you here? I think like kind of sadly, it's because I ran out of alcohol in my like, thank God, thank God you ran out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it just gave me a second like pause. And like, I kind of really thought about it. It was like, you know, $600, $700 worth of alcohol that I was like, okay, I have to pay that back. So I put it back in our wedding fund. And I was like, you know, like, you can do some dialogue with yourself that's pretty harmful. But I just felt like I was pretty ashamed. You know, I was just like, what's the point? Like, really, what's the point in me getting this fucked up for, you know, nothing, you know, it's not a celebration. It's not because I'm like, there's all these things that like, maybe you equate with like, why you want to have a drink. I just almost felt like greed to me. And like, you know, like, I just felt like greedy. Like, I was just like, I, I'm just greedy for it. Like, I can't be satisfied from by one thing. And when, what, what day will come when I am satisfied by this? They will never come, you know, there's never enough until the day that I accidentally kill myself with it. I know that sounds really morbid, but it's possibly true, you know. Yes, it's a big aha moment you had there. Yeah, for sure. Like where I was like, you know, you could drink until you die. That is how much you can drink. And so I didn't really want to try moderation because I was like, I'm not interested in that. I know I can't do that at this point with the COVID and stuff. I need to go completely dry. And I had been listening to the recovery elevator. Actually, I worked at a brewery for four years. And while I was kegging beer, I tried being sober then. It was maybe like maybe three years ago. I was sober for about three months while I worked at the brewery, kegging beer, listening to <laughs> recovery elevator <laughs> and being like, like, I hope this sticks, but it just didn't stick at that time. And like, now I'm like, I think about that. And I'm like, I joined Cafe RE. And I think that that's really what kind of helped me here is because I, I, I just I got accountability with my accountability partner. And it's just there's so many people that are going through real life shit that are staying sober. And I'm like, if they can go through these traumatic life events, and stay sober. I can stay sober because I'm, you know, I'm a little sad today. Know what I mean? Like, I was just like, if if someone can have like heartbreak and devastating loss, sickness, divorce, losing children, all these things that are like the the roughest, toughest stuff, and they can stay sober, I can stay sober, you know, for them too, just to say like, I'm on your team, you know? 
So it's been kind of like that for me where I'm like, it's held me up a lot, you know? I love that sentiment of looking at other people, not to compare yourself, but to just find that camaraderie of like, if they can do it, I can do it too. Like almost like finding strength in other people. And I want to say, I really like saying that I truly believe that all suffering and painful feelings that get to us are and should be validated whether or not the context looks completely different from my life to yours like the actual feeling what you feel in your body like that shame that you describe that pain that hurt that's like a collective shared experience so Mm -hmm. like no it's real stuff it's real stuff no matter mm -hmm. like in tangible 3d world you're like well that person has it way worse like yes yes but also your journey matters. And I, I think a lot of people who are in this gray area of, I ha- I don't have it that bad, then take longer in asking for help because they think that they're not in an awful place, but maybe mentally yeah, that's and, true. and in their that's heart, true. they're hurting so much. Well, it's kind of like validating yourself too, or like saying like, you know, like recognizing that you might use certain mechanisms in your life to numb out pain too is something to kind of get to the bottom of for me it was like I don't like addressing my insecurity I don't like addressing my vulnerability I don't like addressing my my fear my anxiety so I would cover it with alcohol and so now it's like I'm insecure what do I do I talk to my partner I talk to my accountability partner I I think out loud about what's going on, you know, or I do the other thing, which is not think, and I go inwards and I just try to breathe. Sometimes that gets me out of a really bad situation where I'm like, I'm having an anxious moment. Either I can talk about it and try to clarify my feelings, or I can just go inward and just try not to think about anything. And that's been really helpful too. Yeah, sounds like you're building up your tools and... and it's great to hear you just talk about them and share with them with the listeners. And so what happened on April 21st? Did you just go cold turkey? Tell me a little bit about the beginning, like the first week to two weeks. How was that experience for you? Because was the withdrawal pretty bad? I, I'm having like, I have had a little bit of a hard time remembering exactly what it was like. I kind of feel like I was a bit wacky, (laughs) to be (laughs) honest. Like, I think I was kind of like, exuberant and excited and just kind of like feeling camaraderie and like uplifted by joining a group of people who are like cheering you on and it was like oh maybe I'm a sober person and I'm part of this sober club you know where I was like oh maybe this could be part of my finding an identity with it I was I was getting really stoked on you know and I did recognize certain things like my sleep was off kind of at first and I felt like maybe kind of a little bit loosey goosey because I like was still on my antidepressants. And so I was feeling them more. But then I was like on a crazy pink cloud. Like I was overly happy, like, like hyper as heck, you know, and like just kind of like uber stoked. Um, but then I have to be honest, as time went on, I was like, OK, I'm going to get off my antidepressants depressants because it was just something that had been looming on my mind for a while because for me it was like killing my sexuality it was like I I just felt kind of numb from them you know so I was like I'm gonna try to quit these I was I was feeling so 
stoked about being sober that I quit my anti-anxiety medication and my antidepressants like after a month of sobriety. And then I felt pretty wacky, to be honest. I'm not sure I would 100% recommend that to people unless they like have their doctor kind of looking after them or they have support around them because I felt all that excitement and and exuberance that followed by like from my sobriety was followed by kind of a bit of a crash and so I'm kind of finding like my equilibrium now like I'm finding what it feels like to be completely sober of all uh, extra substances and it's interesting to say the least I wouldn't say I'm like on the pink cloud anymore but I'm still so damn thankful to be sober like I can't explain my biggest thing is that I can think (laughs) I can think properly and that is like like such a treasure because I got myself a job because I can speak properly I can I can explain myself I can do my job I can I can use my brain properly like when I was drinking it was like all I could think about was shoving some greasy food in my mouth figuring out how not to puke and get through the day and not walk into doors <laughs> so now I'm, I'm just like so stoked to have my brain power back it's everything you know helps me with so many things just like problem solving communication figuring out what I need to do in order to survive versus figuring out how to like <laughs> just get through an eight-hour work day <laughs> It's so cool to see that like when you close that door on alcohol, when you shut it and you're like, get out of here, then you open up all these other windows and all these other doors. And it's not just about not drinking. But I mean, I love just hearing through your journey that it's just opened up so many other aspects of your life that maybe in the moment you weren't realizing that alcohol was a part of that problem. And I'm really grateful that you brought up medication. Uh, We just had an episode go out about co-occurring disorders, which is extremely common. People just don't talk about it. But yeah, I mean, it is hard getting off medication. I think it's definitely something that should be talked through with a doctor and tapered off. And I mean, it's a whole thing withdrawing from these medicines that I like. I struggle with depression. I take some dosage of medication, sometimes more, sometimes less, depending on these ebbs and flows that you're talking about, because mm-hmm. it is hard. And it's a very personal yeah. decision, but it's a tool that can definitely help many. So I'm I'm happy that you just share about your experience with that, because a lot of people are not just struggling with drinking. There are other things in the mix and anxiety and depression are super common as well. My um, accountability partner and I talk about how like about three days before our periods, like we want to quit our jobs, divorce our husbands, move to another side of the world and like feel like <laughs> like uber murderous and sad and feel like crying all at the same time. And it's like and reaching for the bottle. It's like, well, recognizing that this is kind of like a cyclical thing, like it comes and it goes and it comes and it goes. And like for me. That's one thing like PMS and whatever hormones, but like also my depression, like you said, ebbs and flows. I'm not going to say or discriminate against any kind of medication to help people with depression. I would just say that I'm not sure if I need it right now, but I am also not opposed to it. You know, I'll do what I need to do for my health and my mental health. And I certainly know that alcohol was not helping my mental health. It was making it 90% worse, you know? 
tell me more. I'm curious about your new job. I know you shared with us the excitement leading up to that day. And now you are loving what you're doing, love your team. Tell me more about going into this new job that, like you said, if you were drinking, you probably wouldn't have landed that. It's a it's a drinking environment in the working industry, I feel like. Have you encountered any like, hey, do you want to have a drink after work? Or like, how has that dynamic been within an industry that is so heavy on drinking? I will give people hope here. In my cover letter, I mentioned that I am sober. Yes. And I mentioned to my my future employers at my my um, interview that I was recovering alcoholic and that I'm sober and that it's a big part of my life. And it's like I added it into my assets as to why like they should hire me because I honestly think that like sobriety too in the kitchen industry, maybe especially is like a major asset. People look at that like, holy shit, girl, you rule. Plus, I know you can show up to work like, you know, because how many times have you worked in have I worked in the kitchen industry where I couldn't show up because I was so sick or someone else couldn't show up because they were so sick and it was like you knew it was because of alcohol and they're so cool with me like they you know were a natural wine bar you know the the bottles are all around me and they'll like crack it open to be like here let's all try this like new you know orange blah 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 from blah 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 and like uh I'll, and then like this sweet girl, she comes up to me and she's like, Megan, can I offer you a kombucha? <laughs> and I'm just like, thank you. That's so nice of you. And they're so chill. Like my boss, he's like, he, he's like, hey, is it okay if I make beer batter? And I'm like, girl, like <laughs> you make that beer batter. It doesn't matter to me, but thank you for thinking of me. I am and, smiling like, from ear to ear. I mean, they have your back. <laughs> they have your back. They're but so be, cool. They have your back, but because you were brave enough to say like, not only am I sober, but it's also my superpower because I'm freaking reliable and clear minded and I will show up. And like you said, that brain power is a total asset. So they're lucky to have yeah. you. So it's a vegan restaurant. So it's like, I feel like health and wellness is like a big aspect to it. And if you are like, you know what, this is like a decision I've made for my well-being. Kudos, right? They've been so chill about it and so cool. And in fact, like people are asking me questions and like I get the the idea that some of them are sober curious and like it's been really cool. And I, I feel like that with my friends. I feel like that with a lot of people. I've put it out there that I'm sober on my Facebook and I've been really open and I've had like three or four friends write me and say like, you know, I struggle with alcohol. Um, this is not even like in cafe RE. This is like one of my old punk friends. And they're like, how did you go about it? Do you have any suggestions? What can you, what can you do to help me here? And it's like, you know, it's just like kind of like a huge privilege to be able to say like, to know that like, because I'm open that I possibly can help someone it's been really heartwarming, to say the least. Yeah, so like, so humbling. And like you are part of this. Like this podcast isn't anything without you guys sharing. And you never know when you're going to change someone's life. I'm sure that when you're like friends that are outside of recovery reached out asking for guidance, we've all had that like, wow, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, like, I mean, I've been inspired by people. And that's why I kind of got into it is like being like, this person that I know, Coral, I was like 10 years sober and I see them, they're doing like 
wicked, amazing, cool things in their life. I remember before I was sober, just thinking like, oh, too bad. I could never do that. And it's like, I am doing that. What the fuck? I'm totally like this sober badass. That's like, I'm, I'm ruling at it. Like I, I got this like in a way, like I don't use this, <laughs> that term lightly. Cause I know that the, I got this is like, can be detrimental, but I'm like, I'm like stoked on it. I'm stoked on myself being sober because I'm like, I like the identity that comes with it. Like it's not square. I don't feel like like tea totally nervous Nelly or whatever. I'm like still hip and cool. And like, like I'm still myself as, as I've always been. And I'm still funny. And like, I still, you know, can have a good time with my friends. I just don't get so drunk. They have to pick me up the, off the floor and wipe barf off my face. So I don't know. It sounds better than me. <laughs> yes, it is definitely better. Tell me how your relationship with your partner has changed in the last few months. I mean, my partner's a wicked person. He's above, like, he he's just such a good listener. He's such a good communicator. And he always, like, puts in the effort. He was definitely concerned for me. But I think he's someone who knows about recovery and knows that, like, you can't push someone into recovery. He would express his concern, but he would be like, you know, he knew it had to come from me. He's like endlessly proud. Like we just went out for like a special celebration dinner for my 100th day. And like, you know, his mom called me and was like, happy 100th day. You know, like, like the family has been like really cool about it. He's just, he's so proud of me. And he like, Every time I'm like, hey, babe, it's 96. And he'll give me a big kiss and hug. And he's like, that's awesome. And he, you know, he'll buy like non-alcoholic beers. He stopped drinking like predominantly. Like he maybe has one or two beers here or there with the neighbor. But like he drinks the non-alcoholic beer with me or the bubbly. So it's pretty like a sober health household. And he to- tells me he's noticed the difference with his body, you know. And he's not tired all the time too. Like even just having one drink, he was never a big drinker. It just like the the sugar and stuff like knocks you out, right? Like, so he's just, he's been feeling good too. And he always asks for permission and stuff if I'm comfortable, if he wants to order a drink. And it's like, it has been really cool. I've, he's a very respectful dude. So, and he's really proud of me. Yes, and, he sounds amazing. Having that support is a game changer because you have your community and you have people that you've connected with. But then when you kind of unplug from that and go to your reality, which is the home you live in, the environment that you're surrounded by every day, how neat mm-hmm. that you have, that you have his support. So he's a keeper. Yeah, I'm very thankful. <laughs> yeah, no, he's a definite keeper. He's gonna, <laughs> we're, we're definitely uh, made in the shade. Us too. Megan, <laughs> we have reached the rapid fire round. If you can answer these questions in 30 seconds or less, that would be fabuloso. Are you ready? I am ready. If you could talk to Megan on day one, what would you say to her? I would say that you're going to flourish. Like you're going to get in your lane and you're going to flourish and you're going to feel fabulous. You're going to wake up every morning clear headed and just feel like you have a new body and a new mind. And it's going to be a beautiful, beautiful path that you're going to be on. What is a light bulb moment you've had during this journey? That my body, I am capable, that my body's capable, that my mind is capable. I am, I am worth a lot and I have the ability to do what I set my mind to and, and to stop telling myself bullshit about myself. Like, 
it's all lies if I say the negative things. Like, I'm really a capable person and I can do pretty much anything, you know? Yes, louder for the people in the back. I love that. <laughs> What's your favorite non-alcoholic beverage, Megan? Coffee. <laughs> Iced coffee, black coffee, coffee with oat milk. Coffee, uh, with yeah. o coffee with oat milk is my favorite too. And what parting piece of guidance can you give listeners who are thinking about ditching the booze? Just take it day by day, but remember that you really should just like believe in yourself. If you've never done it before, give yourself the chance to believe in yourself. Know that like you are capable and strong and like you will keep shocking yourself and keep amazing yourself with like how much you're you're capable of really and you'll just be like holy shit I did that like amazing like I just did three days oh my god I'm at 60 days oh my god I'm at 90 days like it, it's shocking and but it's there's there's uh, like there's definitely hard times in between but like you can you can do it like you just have to stay connected yes keep surprising yourself and before we depart give listeners your own you may have to say adios to booze if line Okay. Do you mind if I just quickly say um, I had my Ditching the Booze group and I wanted to say, hey, Jason, Laura, Gary, Ashley, Tyler, and Sherry. So anyways, you might <laughs> I love have, a, have a drinking problem if you drank all your booze for 80 guests at a, for your wedding, but in one month. <laughs> Like I said earlier, I am very glad you ran out and I'm very glad you are on this path with us. And I'm super grateful that you shared. I can't wait to have this aired and have all of our listeners benefit from hearing your story. So thank you, Megan, for joining us. Oh, thanks, Odette. You rule. You're so awesome. <laughs> thank so you. So stoked to have you, too, as, a, as the host. It's rad. We're in it together. Thanks, Megan. Talk to you soon. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Very well, Timari. That's a wrap. Before I say adios, I want to remind you all that everyone is fighting their own battle. Try not to judge others or to have anybody on a pedestal because in the end, we're all just humans doing our best. We need kindness. We need love now more than ever. Also, Halloween is coming up this weekend. And although I know this holiday may look different for many of you this year due to COVID, Feel free to listen to episode 280 if you want tips on staying sober through the spooky festivities. It's the episode that I recorded on 4th of July, but it can come in handy this weekend if you feel like you need to have a game plan for your sobriety. All right, we're here for you, team. Recovery Elevator, stay humble and stay smiling. I love you guys. <laughs>